Hebrews chapter 13. I'm going to start reading in uh, verse 7. And I want to read down to verse uh, uh, verse 16. <coughs> Just make a few comments on some things that I see in, in these passages here. Hebrews 13 and verse 7. It says, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, and today, and forever. Be not carried about with divers and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp bearing his reproach. For here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. By him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Brother and I, as I said, I was looking at these passages uh, and uh, a few things kind of stick out to me here that I might bring forth and I pray that they're of uh, edification to you. I pray that the Lord is in the matter. Uh, the first thing we see here says, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation this again Paul is exhorting us uh, to uh, remember them who the Lord has placed over us uh, as uh, pastors teachers uh, those who are communicating the word of God to us uh, now while you know you've heard me teach this often uh, here the pastor the preacher is not above the congregation we are all one body we are all part of the congregation however the Lord does uh, grant to other people, uh, grant to each uh, the gifts that he has given to them. And a pastor and elder has not a more important uh, gift than anybody else. They have just a different office or a role that the Lord has given for them to uh, to do. And, to, and some men are given a gift to be able to preach God's Word. Not that everybody can't preach God's word. Everybody preaches God's word. That is a Christian by their testimony, by you know sharing the gospel, uh, holding to the faith and the doctrines of Christ, and and everything like that. But what he's talking about here is specifically those who the Lord has has called and gifted to uh, be able to preach and to communicate the word of God uh, to the congregation. He says, remember them which have the rule over you. And again, this rule is not some authoritative dictatorship. The Bible is very clear in that, that those who are given that uh, office uh, within the congregation is not to lord over God's heritage. It's not to rule uh, by, uh, by uh, a strong hand of any kind. It's not, to, uh, it's not to rule for filthy lucre. It's not to do all those things. The rule here is basically is we are to uh, um, we are to uh, keep the order. We are to keep the uh, uh, um, whenever the congregation comes together that we are to make sure that everything is done in decent decently and in order. And we are to preach the word of God. We are to teach the word of God and communicate the word of God, whether that be like we're doing now here, how I'm doing it. Or last week, how we did it, where everybody is speaking together, talking together, sharing those things. So those who have the rule over you is not necessarily those who are a some sort of a CEO or anything like that. That is what's going on in most modern Christianity. But that is not 
what a biblical pastor, biblical teacher is supposed to do. But it says to remember them who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow considering the end of their conversation. Now, we, I think we all know here that the word conversation here, uh, oftentimes in the scripture, is used to mean that their way of life. Okay, their conversation is their walk or their way of life. And he's saying here to remember them and to follow their faith. Now, let's kind of maybe think about a few things here. This isn't some blind following, okay? People are not to blindly follow pastors and teachers because pastors and teachers, just like everybody else, are fallible people, are subject to sin, are uh, subject to error, they're subject to, uh, uh, to uh, uh, be wrong about doctrine even, you know? They're subject to misunderstanding. They're subject to the flesh, just like everybody else is. I mean, I was just sharing with Larry earlier, whenever I was filling up the gas, the flesh really got me that this week, whenever it jumped up to 389, 390 a gallon, and uh, how I was kind of cussing the Biden... Binomics uh, to the people around the <laughs> the gas pump where I was at, you know, um, you know, pastors and teachers are not perfect people, and to say to just follow them at every whim and everything that they do is not what the scripture is telling us here. Anytime Paul or anybody in the scriptures says, like whenever Paul said, you know, to imitate me or to follow after me or anything like that, it's always with the understanding as much as I am following what the Word of God says. You know, just like the Bereans. Paul was preaching to the Bereans, but the Bereans were saying, hey, you know, let's go home, let's look and see what this is saying, see whether those things be true or not. Um, so whenever it says here to follow after this, their faith, whose faith follow, okay, as long as that faith coincides with God's Word, you ought to follow that. You ought to get behind that. Defend that. Stand for it. Okay? If your pastor is preaching faithfully the Word of God, you ought to get behind your pastor and not only encourage your pastor, but you ought to be behind him in the defense of the faith. A lot of times in congregations, and we've seen it here before, people may come in and they may disagree with our doctrine that we are holding and preaching. And whenever we do that, a lot of times people just want to say, Oh, Hey, well, all right, pastor, you take care of it, you know? And let the pastor do all the talking and take all the heat, take all the fiery darts that might come. But if the brethren knows, hey, our pastor is standing on truth, they ought to stand behind him and with him in the defense and the propagation of the truth, of doctrine. And so it's an exhortation for us to, uh, to, to stand together, united. This isn't just one voice out here defending. It's the whole congregation. We're to be one in faith, right? And that's not just belief on Christ Jesus, but it's in the doctrine of Christ Jesus too. We are to be one in the doctrine of Christ Jesus. And we are to stand for that doctrine and we're to, and we're to uh, 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 encourage one another in that doctrine. And this is considering the end of their conversation. A pastor who is firm in the doctrines of Christ, but yet then whenever he's out there in the world, the doctrine of Christ isn't much. Like, do I speak different to somebody about the Word of God whenever I'm out there than I do here? I've seen guys like that. I've seen guys, as a matter of fact, I've seen just the opposite. I've told you the story of the church that we went to one time. This preacher that was there online in his Sovereign Grace groups. Oh, he was a great defender of Sovereign Grace. But whenever he was actually preaching it in his pulpit, talking to the people about it, whenever asked specific questions about, well, do you believe that reprobation is just as active as election? Do you believe that God does not love everybody? Do you believe that God's sovereign over evil and sin? He kind of backs away and shies away from that in the public. Okay, that, that's kind of some of the things that I'm talking about. His conversation in the world, I don't mean his, just necessarily his vocal, although our conversation should be, you know, in accordance to God's Word, but his deportment, his way of walking 
before others in the way that he speaks before others and the way that he holds the doctrine of Christ, is it the same whether he's out there or whether he's in here? You know, do do you see your pastor or your uh, your uh, uh, elder? Do you see them out there preaching and teaching and, and holding to the same thing as they do whenever they're amongst their own kind? Um, if your pastor is doing that, you know, get behind and support. Now, I say all that not because I'm here to support and to exalt the pastors. I'm saying that because of what verse 8 that comes right after that is. The conversation of their lives. If you have a pastor who is faithful and true with God's Word, the conversation of their life is always comes down to verse 8. If you notice, that almost, that, that almost kind of bleeds into itself, right? That, that next verse. It's almost as if Paul's talking about, well, pay attention to your pastor, follow your pastor, and then all, out of sudden, sudden out of eight, they just make a declaration of Jesus being the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then he goes back into be not carried her out while divers. Well, why would Paul put in there between those seven and nine, put just a, all of a sudden a, a, a random statement of the character and the uh, uh, nature of Christ whenever he's talking about following the pastor and being not carried away by strange doctrines. Well, I think that that because all of this is tied together. See, the conversation of life of the pastor is the doctrine of Jesus Christ. As a pastor, as a teacher... And I would say even for everybody else who is not a pastor or a teacher, that the conversation of life should always be about Jesus Christ. It isn't necessarily about the end times. It isn't necessarily about money and family. It isn't necessarily about church. It isn't necessarily about all these other things, although there's importance and the Bible has teaching on that. When everything is boiled down to anything, it's all about the centrality of Jesus Christ. We preach Christ and him crucified. Paul said, whenever I came to you, I didn't know anything among you except Christ and him crucified. I didn't preach in the way of man's wisdom. I didn't do all these things that manipulate that other men do. I did not rest the scriptures. I didn't do all... What did I do? I came and I preached in the power of the Holy Spirit, Christ and him crucified. The conversation of our life is everything is about Jesus Christ. And so he says here, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. What is the conversation of our life? What is the, the centrality of who we are and what we stand for? It's Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, I mentioned to you last week that I've been thinking about that verse, verse 8. If you notice there, it says Jesus Christ. And throughout Scripture, that those two words, Christ wasn't Jesus' last name. right? We've heard that before. Christ isn't Jesus' last name to the chagrin of a lot of people. I think they think it is. But Jesus was His name. Christ was His title. The word Jesus means Savior. Thou shalt call His name Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sin. The word Jesus means Savior. In Greek, it means Savior in Hebrew. Yeshua means Savior. Joshua means Savior. Jesus means Savior. Christ, though, the word Christ is a title for Jesus. The word Christ means the anointed of God. Now, if you think about that just a little bit... <clears throat> To be anointed of God means that God has over this man, Jesus, given him his name, given him his authority, given him his blessing, given him everything that is equal to and part of who God is. The Bible says that God has given Jesus a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. The Bible says that He has given Him power over all flesh to give eternal life to as many as God has given Him. The Bible says He has power 
um, that God has given him power in heaven and in earth. And there's other scriptures we can go through, go to, but Jesus is the personification of the name. And whenever we speak of the name of God, we're not just talking about the name uh, I am. We're not just talking about the name Jehovah. It's all that Jehovah is. All that Jehovah represents. All that Jehovah encompasses, Jesus Christ is because the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That He is the image of the invisible God. That all of who God is, is in Christ Jesus. And as the anointed, that means God has said, I have placed all of who I am, my authority, my name, and that name speaks of His power and authority. If, if we've, I've used this example before, if you remember. Whenever the police come and says, stop in the name of the law. What does that mean? The name of the law. Well, the name of the law is in the power and the authority of the law. I'm telling you to stop, right? The name represents, or the name signifies, the authority that has the, the say-so, but also the one who has the power to enact that authority. God who is self-governing, okay, self-existent. There is no law against God. God is without law of it to Himself because there is no lawmaker that can put a law to God. God is self-existent, meaning that nothing affects Him. I can't make him do anything. You can't make him do anything. He's not beholden to anybody. Matter of fact, the Bible says that he doesn't take counsel from anybody. The only counsel he has is with himself. He consults himself on all matters. So God is self-existent. That's what the very name I Am represents. That's what the name Jehovah represents. It means self-existent God. It means one who is not influenced from without. This self-existent God has placed under that authority given all power to Jesus Christ. And so Jesus Christ means the Savior who has all authority and all power of God. That's what being anointed of God means. God has anointed Him as the Savior of His people and has given Him the authority and the power to bring forth the salvation of Jehovah to the elect of Jehovah. That's who Jesus is. That's who we preach. <laughs> That's what we preach. We preach God in His sovereignty, God in His authority, God in His power, God in His salvation, but we preach it as God in His Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm not here to preach to you the Holy Ghost. I'm not here to preach to you the Father, although that, that's all God. The centrality of God, whether it be Father, whether it be Word, whether it be Holy Ghost, you cannot preach God without preaching Jesus Christ because God has placed all things under His feet. God has placed all things in His hands. God has placed the saving of His people and the judgment of the reprobate in His hands. It's all about Jesus Christ. And to preach God is to preach Jesus Christ. And to live for God is to live for Jesus Christ. And I don't mean by law keeping. I'm talking about in our conversation of life, everything goes back to everything. I don't worry about Bidenomics, I shouldn't. My flesh gets riled up about it. But I don't live in fear of who's going to be in that White House because I know that God sets up kings. And Jesus Christ is the one who is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He rules over all things. We sing that song. So to be the anointed Jesus, the Savior, anointed to have God tell us He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
What good news is that? That means there's not ever a time, whether it be in the past, whether it be right now, or whether it be in the future to come, that Jesus is not the anointed Savior who has all power and all authority of God. And whatever Jesus does cannot be stopped. Whatever Jesus does is most excellent. Whatever Jesus has accomplished, He has accomplished and none can take away from it. Brethren, that's why our salvation, if we be His, our salvation is secure because nobody can take away what Jesus has accomplished. There is nobody who has a higher name or authority to take away what Jesus has accomplished. There is nobody who has the power to take away what Jesus has accomplished. And what Jesus has done is done. That's why whenever Jesus cried on the cross, it is finished. He didn't say it was finished or it will be finished. He said it is finished. For now, for times past and for times future, it's a finished thing. Why? Because I have accomplished it. I have done it. Remember in the Old Testament, the Bible says that God said that He, that His purpose would be done. I have purposed it. I will also do it. Whenever God does something, it's done to the utmost. It's done to the fullness. It's done to the complete, to the completion. And nobody can change that. And so whenever we see, if we have a pastor, if we have a teacher, and if we are a church and congregation who stands on Jesus to Christ, the same yesterday, today, forever, then that means that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of that salvation from that God never changes. It didn't change in the Old Testament. It doesn't change now with our times and it ain't going to change in the future. People are going to be saved the same way in the Old Testament as they are today, as they will be in the future. They were saved by Jesus Christ who is the Savior. And that cannot be changed. It never will change. Therefore, our message never changes Therefore, the central aspect of our worship never changes. Therefore, the central conversation of our lives never changes. It's all about Jesus. Everything's about Jesus. You say, well, how could that have been in the Old Testament whenever nobody even knew who Jesus was? How could they live and have Jesus as the central point? Brethren, the gospel was preached to those in the Old Testament. Not only do I believe it was preached directly, I believe that it was preached as we know through the types and the foreshadows. They knew of a Messiah to come. They knew of a Redeemer. Job himself said, I know that my Redeemer. He knew of a Redeemer. He knew who stood in His place. We see throughout all of the Old Testament them looking forward. The Bible even says that Abraham was preached the gospel. The Bible says that Abraham looked to another day and he saw Christ from afar off. Well, how did he see Christ if he didn't know about Christ? That's because whenever God came to him on the plains of Mamre or wherever it was, I can't remember now, whenever he came to him and he told him, hey, there's going to be a seed that's going to come from you and he's going to be your righteousness. And Abraham believed God and Abraham accounted that seed as his righteousness. He didn't account some mysterious type and foreshadow as his righteousness. He accounted the one who's going to be the substance of that. Jesus was the substance of that. Jesus has always been the message. Jesus has always been the one who God, from before the foundation of the world, <clears throat> the Bible says. <coughs> That God, that God uh, uh, brought him up, brought him forth uh, from before the uh, mountains uh, were created, before anything was created. That he was possessed in the way before anything was ever uh, made. And that he was possessed for the purpose of sitting in that throne, taking that scroll that God had given him, and opening those seals, and bringing forth everything that God had purposed. God left all of that in the charge and the keep of Jesus Christ. 
And brethren, I don't know of any better hands to put it in. I'm glad he didn't put it in the Pharisees' hands. I'm glad he doesn't put it in my hands. So, with Jesus Christ being the centrality of all that we know, all that we say, all that we do, everything centers around him, verse 9 says, Be not carried about with divers and strange doctrines. The word divers there for you young guys that don't know. The word divers there just means many. Okay, it means several. Divers means just a, a, a variety of. Do not be carried about with a variety and strange doctrine. A variety of doctrines and strange doctrines. So what does that mean? If you have a faithful pastor or preacher, if you have faithful men in the congregation who are preaching God's Word with Jesus at the center of all things, with Jesus alone being the only part of salvation, if you have them, listen to their doctrine. Take heed to their doctrine. Okay? Stand behind their doctrine. Because it's not their doctrine, it's actually Christ's doctrine. It's the doctrine of Christ. He says, For it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace. Now, this is where things really began to get interesting in these passages for me whenever I was reading through these things. He says, There's only one central figure. It's Christ and the work of Christ. The work of Christ alone. It's not Christ plus somebody else. It's Jesus Christ. But he also says, don't be listening and don't be led away. Don't be tantalized by all these other doctrines out there and all these strange doctrines that are out there. Be focused on the one doctrine, Christ and Him crucified. Be focused upon Christ and Him crucified. Why? For, the word for there means because, why are we not to be carried around with all these other doctrines and worry ourselves with these other doctrines? Because it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace. How is it that the child of grace feeds upon Christ? He feeds upon the work of Christ, what Christ has done. See, the heart <clears throat> to the true child of grace can never be established or, confer or firm, made firm or made, uh, made uh, stable by the preaching of the law, by the preaching of conditions, by the preaching of self-righteousness, that never will establish the heart because the heart of a child of grace is given to know the inability they have before God to keep God's law for righteousness. They know their inability to perform a righteousness that they are filthy rags. They know because their heart has been taught of God that they are wretched and vile and that they cannot please God in the flesh. They have been given to know and taught of the Holy Spirit that everything that proceeds from the flesh is just flesh and cannot please God. And so they know, as Paul knew, O wretched man that I am. When I try to do good, I cannot do it. Why? Because evil is always present with me because that's all my flesh is, is evil. The Lord looked down upon the people of the earth and saw that their intent of their heart was only evil continually. That's who we are in the flesh. Therefore, the child of grace, whenever they are born of God, and then they are given faith and repentance that teaches them that they can do no good. Therefore, any preaching of law, any preaching of conditions, any preaching of a, establishing a righteousness by something that you do will not establish your heart. It will not hold firm your heart. You will be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. You will be... Your conscience will be not clear. Your, uh, your guilt will ever be before you. You will always be as a double-minded man, wondering 
and, 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 and concern. He says, For it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace. So what should we be preaching? What should that preacher that you listen to be preaching? Well, if he's preaching law, if he's preaching conditions, if he's preaching a righteousness that's established by things that we are doing by obedience, then that preacher is not preaching Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is preaching Jesus Christ plus something else. Therefore, he's not establishing the hearts with doctrine that is of grace, but a mixture of law and grace, which Paul said is not grace. You can't preach. And I hear this all the time, especially among Reformed people. We must keep a, a strict balance between law and grace. <clears throat> Brethren, listen, Paul said that it's either of grace, because if it's of grace, then it is no more of works. But if it's of works, then it's no more of grace. He never said there's a little of both involved. He said it's either of grace or it's of works. And he said the, the salvation of man, and I would even say the temporal salvation of man, is not by our works. Again, every obedience, we just saying, every obedience... Every knowledge, every understanding is by the hand of God. So even all of our obedience in this lifetime, which they call temporal salvation, is also governed by the sovereignty of God who gives us the enabling to will and to do His good pleasure, or He does not. And if He does not, is that sin? Absolutely it's sin. But is that sin accounted to us? Absolutely not. Whether it's temporal, whether it's eternal, all of salvation is by Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, who has not only secured all the legality of everything, but is also making sure that all the experimental part of our salvation is going exactly as He has purposed. So that whenever we come and we are at the end of our life, whenever He comes, whichever comes first, that we are conformed to His image and that we have brought forth all the works that God has ordained for us from the foundation of the world. <clears throat> the heart has to be established in grace. But it directly says, look at what's the next phrase. It says, Not with meats, not with meats which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. What's, what's Paul alluding to here? He's alluding to uh, the service of the law. He's, he said, and the heart cannot be established with meats. What was happening here? You're not to eat of this meat. You're not to eat of this kind of meat. You're not to eat of this kind of meat. Even though this kind of meat is good for you to eat, you can't eat of it if it's been offered to idols. You can't eat it if it's been this or that. All these different things about the law, the ceremonial things of the law. So Paul is saying here, anybody who is worried about or occupied with the things of the law are never going to be established in their heart. Why? Because they're always going to fall short. It's never going to come as a, as a rest. They're always going to be at work. That's what work is, right? Work is always work. Whenever you are a laborer, you are always under work. You're always required work. Whenever I check in for work, whenever I check out for work, and listen, even times whenever I come home and I'm not at work, I still have to work. I get calls in the middle of the night. I get calls on the weekends. I get calls out and have to all of a sudden start back work again. Labor is labor. As long as you're a laborer, you have to labor. But whenever you are at rest, you do not labor. There is no labor. There is no work. And so we see that those who continue in the service of the law works that their heart will never be established. It will never be stable. Look at verse 10. He says, We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serves the tabernacle. Now, we're not talking about the front of the church. 
building, right? That's not the altar. I grew up in Southern Baptist, and that was a sacred place up there at the front of the church. It's where everybody had to go pray. That's where everybody had to go repent of their sins. That's where everybody had to go to rededicate their lives to Jesus. That's where everyone had to go to get saved. Shake the preacher's hand. That's where they had to go to become a member of the church. That's where everybody had to go down to the front of the church. Because if you don't profess men before, if you don't profess Christ before men, then God's not going to confess you before His Father. You know, so you have to go and make it publicly known up in front of the church, or that there was something sacred about that, and they called it the altar. Listen, you got to go down to the altar. I was saved at an old-fashioned altar. I was saved at an old-fashioned altar too, two thousand years ago, and we called Christ Jesus. That's the altar that he's talking about here. We have an altar. The altar, the one and only altar, is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our altar. What was the altar? The altar was the place where the sacrifice was made. There was actually a couple of altars in the Old Testament sacrificial system. There was the altar of the incense, which was inside the tabernacle, and that's where they brought the blood, and they sprinkled the blood on the altar of incense. But then there was an altar that was outside the camp where the bodies of the sacrifices would come and laid on that altar and they were burnt on that altar. Jesus Christ is the altar. He is not only the one who is doing the sacrificing as the high priest, He is also the sacrificer, but He is also the place of the sacrifice. He is the place where sacrifice took place in His body. That body that God prepared for him with flesh and blood, he gave that body, not the glorified body that he had before, but the body that he had give, received whenever he was made in the womb by the Holy Spirit, that body had flesh and blood that was made like unto his brethren, not the same as his brethren, but like unto his brethren, but without sin. That body he came and took on so that He could die for us. So that He could be the sacrifice for us. But it surely was without spot or blemish because only those that were without spot or blemish could be sacrificed upon those altars. And Christ did. He came and He gave Himself. He is the altar. And He is the last place of sacrifice. The Bible says that whenever He had made sacrifice that He came and He sat down. He didn't continue in the sacrificial service. God, Christ is not up there continually taking sacrifices that you're bringing to Him and making those sacrifices before God. He was the sacrifice. And He was sacrificed on the altar of His own body. And that body that He, was, that he sacrificed before God took all the fire of God, as it were, in the type, all the fire of God in His judgment came upon Christ. And it says, those, excuse me, we have an altar. Who has an altar? Who is Christ that altar for? Well, it's for those who are His people. The elect before the foundation of the world. That's the one who He came to be the altar for. To be the sacrifice for. It was for them that He came. In distinction from who? Those who are occupied therein with meats and law works. They that have those that are occupied in law keeping, what does it say here? They have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. Those who are serving the law system have no right to eat of the altar of, of God. What was it? What, whatever, whenever those sacrifices were made, the priest had the right, the Levites had the right to take of those sacrifices and eat the meat that was on them. God gave that to the Levites because they weren't making money. They weren't out there being able to work and to, and to, and to farm and to till the ground and to do all the stuff that people was able to do. They, their living came from the work of the service in the, in the tabernacle. And it came from the tithes and offerings of the Old Testament system. Those tithes and offerings of grain and food and 
and the and the sacrifices, the meat therein, that was what was given to the priest, and that's how they were sustained, so that they might do the work of the of the ministry of the tabernacle. Well, that eat that meat they and they only were able to eat of. The rest of Israel was not able to eat the meat that was offered on that altar. Only the Levites were. And brethren, if you think the Bible has said that God has made us a kingdom of priests and only we, the elect of God, can eat that meat from that altar. Only we are able to find sustenance, to find refreshment, to find nourishment from the preaching of grace alone. The very thing that establishes the heart the very thing that feeds the soul, that feeds who we are uh, spiritually, the only thing that feeds that is grace alone. Why do you think it is? All of us here, the people that was here a couple of weeks ago that came from Louisiana that don't have a church because they can't find something that feeds their soul, drove all this way to hear something that was feeding their soul. Why are people watching right now that don't have churches. Because there's preachers and pastors and churches out there that are standing in the doctrine of Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, that is preaching grace alone in Christ Jesus. And that is what is establishing the heart. But what's so prevalent out there is those who are doing the service of the tabernacle, and the service of the tabernacle is not establishing the heart of the child of grace. Because they are a child of grace, not a child of works. And they understand that, and they know that, and they feel that. And so whenever they hear the message of grace, when they hear the message of Christ alone is my substitute, Christ alone is my righteousness, Christ alone is my sin bearer, whenever they hear those messages, that establishes their heart and they give praise and glory to Christ Jesus. That's why we see in the, uh, in the latter part it says, By Him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to whose name? His name. See, we, we preach Christ and Him crucified because that is the meat. That, that's the only meat that's on the altar. And there's only one altar. And if you're to partake of the altar, you have to partake of the meat that's on the altar. And the meat that's on the altar is Jesus in John chapter 6. As a matter of fact, if you'll turn with me. <clears throat> John chapter 6. Jesus said, verse 53, Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, ye have no life in you. Whosoever eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath already, not will have, but hath eternal life, and I will raise him up the last day. For my flesh is meat Indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, uh, even he shall live by me. That is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. So we see here Jesus is equating his flesh... And he even told them prior to that that the flesh that came down the, that the bread that came down of heaven was his flesh. Okay? The flesh that came down of heaven, this body that I've given is broken for you. That's why in the Lord's Supper we have that symbolism of the unleavened bread and the wine. That's why we are so adamant in using the unleavened bread and the wine, because it shows forth the that type shows forth the substance. Jesus Christ was. Uh, a, a body that was broken but without sin. He was broken for us. And that, what He did for us, is our spiritual sustenance. That's what our heart is established in, is the work of Him alone. What He did in the body for us. 
And so back in Hebrews, wherever he talks here that they have no right to eat which serve the table because they do not find sustenance in that meat. See, their sustenance is maybe a little meat here, but I need to have a little meat off of this table over here as well. They need to have a little law, and they need to have maybe a little grace here too. But he says, For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Where is that altar found? It's not the altar of incense that's inside the tabernacle. No, this altar that he's talking about is the one that's outside the camp. It's not inside where the law service was held in the tabernacle, but it was outside the camp where the thieves and the robbers and the killers and all the the bad people were taken out and was killed. It was where the bodies that were dead were taken out and burnt. Listen, our service is not in the tabernacle. Our service is without the camp. And it's not in anything that we have done, it's what He did. It's not a continual city of Jerusalem and the sacrifices therein. Listen, that's why we are against Judaism. That's why we say Christianity is not a Judeo-Christian religion. <coughs> Judaism was cursed by Christ. Judaism was denied by Christ. Jesus said that system is a synagogue of Satan. <coughs> Jesus said that I'm going to leave your house unto you desolate. And He did. He did. Christianity is not Judaism with a New Testament spin on it. Christianity is the New Covenant that stretched all the way back to eternity and will go all the way to eternity. It is not Judaism rehashed, reworked, made better. It is not Judaism and Christianity. Judaism has no place in a New Testament church. Therefore, that's why the law, and Paul was very clear about this, is dead to the child of grace. We are dead to the law and the service of the law. Why? Because there is no life in the law. There is no righteousness gained by the law. We cannot keep the law. The law was never meant to establish a righteousness. It was to show unrighteousness. It was not kept... So or it was not given for us to keep so that we would be pleasing to God. It was given to us to show we cannot please God. And that's the purpose of the law. That's why we say the law is good. That's why we say, yes, the law still has that as part of what we preach. But brethren, it does have, has no part in the gospel. The law has no part in us uh, teaching and preaching that people should adhere to these things of the law in order to be saved or to be kept by Christ. That is not what the law is for. He says, <clears throat> For those bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that He might sanctify the people with His own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go therefore unto him without the camp bearing his reproach. Now, brethren, it says right here that we should therefore go unto him without the camp. It didn't say go back into the tabernacle into the law service. It said wherefore we should go out to him who is the altar, who is the sacrifice, and the one who did the sacrificing, and look and see what he has done. Look upon His work. It didn't tell us to get back to work and go back into the tabernacle service. It said, go and look at what He has done. Go to Him. And it says they're bearing His reproach. What does that mean, bearing His reproach? Well, one of the things we understand uh, about reproach means that whenever somebody has reproach, 
That means that people look down on you. People are maybe even get angry at you or mad at you or hate you. Reproach is when somebody looks down and, and thinks that you're no good or what you're doing or saying is no good. That's what reproach means. What does that mean for us? Well, if we are going to leave the tabernacle service and we are going to go outside the camp and go unto Jesus alone, we are going to bear reproach. That means people are going to say, you're crazy. What do you mean? You're just going to go and it's all just faith and no works on your part? They're going to say, you mean to tell me it's just all i got to do is look to Jesus and that's it? I don't have to do anything? There's nothing that i got to do on my part? Well, you're crazy. You're an antinomian. Brethren, those who look to Christ alone are going to bear reproach. Why? Because those of the tabernacle, those of the law service, cannot eat the meat that's on the altar out there. Therefore, anybody who leaves their works and goes to Christ alone, they're going to receive reproach from those who think that they have the way figured out. That they have the way. Matter of fact, isn't that what Paul even told the Galatians? That those men desire to put you under the law so that they might, from your flesh, that they might be glorified. That they will receive glory from you and you, you're trying to keep the law and everything. That's what they're saying. Whenever we leave that system of law-keeping, tabernacle service, and again, we're using a type here. I hope you understand whenever it's saying here that the service of the tabernacle or those who are indulging in the meats of the tabernacle. We're talking about those who are preaching conditional salvation or conditional uh, 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 experiential salvation. That it's all conditional upon us. That's all part of something that we must do. Anybody that preaches free will, conditions for salvation, to get salvation, to be born again, all those things, that is all part of this temple service that it's talking about here. Those people, again, as I said, they will throw reproach on anybody because they are being shined a light upon. Whenever somebody is preaching Christ and Him only, that shines light upon them and their, and their evil works. You, say, you who say, again, Paul said, you who say, you keep the law? Have you not heard what the law says? Anybody who leaves the temple service and goes to Christ alone is basically saying, hey, are you not hearing what you're preaching over here? You're preaching to me the law, and the law tells me I've got to keep it completely, fully, all the time. And I can't. And I haven't. Therefore, I have no hope in the law. This guy over here is saying that there's hope in Christ because He kept the law for me. And that He Himself has made satisfaction to God on my behalf. My sins have been expiated. I've been justified. God has been satisfied. And it's free. See ya. I'm out of here. Brethren, you will be scorned. You will bear reproach when you go outside the camp. Now this word camp there, I take that to mean the camp of religiosity, the camp of, of, uh, of works religion, the camp of free will and conditions. But hey, this could also mean the world in general. I was reading some stuff uh, on that. Uh, you know, One of the things that Gill said about it was that it could possibly be talking about the world, which is true also, you know. We're, we're, we're not of this world. We're, we're of the heavenly kingdom. The, the fleshly man is of this world, and he longs after the things of this world. But this spiritual man that's in us, it longs for the other world. It looks to the other world and the kingdom of God. But brethren, I think this is most specifically talking about the camp of religion, the camp of, the camp of law versus the camp of grace. It says, <clears throat> verse 14, 
For here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. See, in this law-keeping, we don't have a continuing city. In this life, we don't have a continuing city. There is a continuing city. It's called the New Jerusalem. That city is going to continue forever. And in that city, there is no tabernacle service. There is no temple service. There is no works of law there. In that tabernacle, the blood has already been come and presented. In that tabernacle, everything has been finished. In that tabernacle, the prophet, the priest, the king has set down, has made salvation to the utmost for his people. The Bible says that he has obtained eternal redemption. All that is completely done in the city that we continually look for. The city that is to come. The city that we look for. Verse 15, By Him therefore. Remember how I say often, every word counts in the Scriptures. How is it that anybody is to offer a sacrifice of praise to God? By Him. How is it that I'm able to come and speak today? By Him. How is it that we was able to lift our voices to God earlier? By Him. By Him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise. Notice it didn't say there the sacrifice of keeping the law. The sacrifice of obedience. The Bible says that the sacrifice of bulls and goats God doesn't enjoy but a broken and contrite heart well how does the heart get broken and how does it get contrite that's by the work of God whenever the whenever the heart is broken and the and the and, and contrite whenever it hears the gospel it brings forth praise to God whenever they came out of <coughs> Egypt and was delivered out of Egypt what was the first thing they done when they came out of Egypt? They offered up praise unto God and worshiped God for His deliverance, for His salvation. Brethren, the lips will always bring forth praise and give thanks to His name. Not give thanks to the opportunity that you give me. Not give thanks to, well, Lord, I'm thankful that you give me the free will to be able to choose you. I'm thankful, Lord, that you give me the Ten Commandments so that I could see them and do them and be pleasing to you. Now, what are we giving Him thanks for? We're giving thanks to His name. And again, we come back to the name. We're giving thanks to His authority and His power as the Christ to accomplish salvation on behalf of His people. We again bring back credit where credit is due. If we have a pastor who is preaching, if we have a congregation who is standing on the doctrine of grace, the praise is always going to the central figure who is Jesus Christ. Therefore, from the beginning to the end, yesterday, today, forever, Jesus Christ is the same. He's the central figure. He's the Savior. He's the Christ. He's the message of the gospel. He's the hope of the gospel. And He is the nourishment from the gospel. And therefore, those who are children of grace, who have been given a heart to bring forth praise, will always give praise to His authority, to His power, to Him alone, not to anything else. And so He ends there in verse 16 but to do good and to communicate, forget not. Now that word good there, I, try, I looked it up just to see what that word meant, if it had any more meaning than just doing good works. It means to be benevolent. That's what it means. It didn't mean law-keeping. It meant to be benevolent. What's benevolence? 
Anybody know what benevolence is? We use that word a lot. Huh? Care for. Benevolence. To provide aid to, help to, right? To be benevolent is to be generous with something. You can be benevolent with your money. You can be benevolent with your possessions. You can be benevolent with your time. You can. It's to be giving. It's to invest in, to be giving in somebody else. That's benevolence. To be, uh, let's see, uh, what are the, I can't think of the word. I'm dwell on it. But it says here, but to do good or to be benevolent and to communicate, forget not. Now that's put together, and I think people want to di- make a dichotomy out of that in saying that you need to be benevolent and you need to communicate. But I believe it all goes together. The benevolence that we're speaking of here, because it all goes back to the benevolence of the man that God has called to stand before you to communicate to you and the people that is to stand behind him and communicate to those outside one voice communicating one message, Christ Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever, that is the benevolence, is the communication of the one message. The communication of the service outside the camp, not within the tabernacle. How are we to do good and communicate thus being a sacrifice that God is well pleased with by being benevolent in preaching the truth. By being benevolent in sharing Christ and Him crucified. Sharing Christ alone as our salvation. See, I can get up here all day long and preach about how bad the Mormons are. How bad the Catholics are. and How bad the Jehovah's Witnesses and the New Age cultists and all the uh, 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 other varieties of religions that are out there. I can get up there and preach that. I can get up here and, 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 and preach end time stuff all the time to, to tell you about that. I can preach health and wealth. You know, if I want to be like one of the health and wealth preachers, I can get up and do that. I can come in here and I can preach the Lord's church all the time. As important as some of those things are, not all that stuff that I said was important, all the health and wealth business, <clears throat> but I can preach all these things But brethren, if I'm not communicating to you faithfully, and if you're not communicating faithfully Christ alone for salvation, then that is not the sacrifice of praise that God is well pleased with. See, God's well pleased in His Son. That's the only thing He's pleased with. Matter of fact, He said it, if I'm not mistaken, now you've been reading through the Gospels, Matthew, and you're in Mark now, right? Almost through Mark. I believe there was at least three occasions that I can remember distinctly where God, vocally from heaven, said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. He didn't say that about anybody else. He said, This is my beloved Son. Matter of fact, in the transfiguration, whenever Moses and Elijah was there, he said, This is my beloved Son, hear ye Him. He didn't say, Listen to Moses and listen to Elijah. He said, Listen to Him. Why? Because Moses and the prophets all speak of Him. Because Moses was all about Him. Elijah was all about Him. Moses, actually in person, was a type of Christ. Elijah in his person was a type of Christ. While they were real people, they were also given as types of Jesus Christ. The, mo- the, the law and the prophets all speak of Him. Jesus went from Moses and the prophets and told them all the things that were about Him. In the volume of the book, it is about Him. He is the central figure of all things. And that should be our communication. That should be our benevolence. Listen, can we help people with financial things that they need help with? Sure, as the Lord enables us and gives us that. But for me to be the most benevolent to you is to preach to you the truth and to be truthful with you about God's Word. 
That's why we're giving the Word of God to correct and rebuke and to encourage in righteousness. We do those things. Why? With God's Word because it's the truth. And if I love somebody, how, how do I give them the most benevolence? By preaching them the truth. Not teaching them life lessons. Not taking them back to the law. Not giving them funny lessons. You know? How am I to be the most benevolent to you? I can surely break out a wallet and give you what little bit of money I can. But listen, that's only going to profit you a little. But if I give unto you the truth of Christ and Him as the central thing of all of salvation, of all of creation, that's the most benevolent thing that a preacher or a church could ever do. So I pray that the Lord would keep not only me faithful, but our church faithful in being benevolent and in communication of sacrifices that is well-pleasing to God. The sacrifice and praise of our lips to what Christ has done, not what we have done. Man, I've seen it today. Well, matter of fact, I, I was telling you that my long favor uh, passed away this week. And his wife had wrote up a thing about him and he said, how Mylon and his youth ministry had saved over 250,000 youth people. <clears throat> and went on and on about all the accomplishments he made in the kingdom for the kingdom. Brethren, that's not communicating what we're seeing here. That's communicating service of the law. That's, that's saying that, look what I have done. All these people that go up and say, look how many people we saved in our revival. Look how many people we saved in our music ministry. Look how many people we did here and there. Listen, that is doing what? Look at me. Look at me. They're glorying in your flesh. And the ones who glory in your flesh are the law keepers, are the tabernacle dwellers, are the servants of the tabernacle and the, and the law system. But those who are children of grace, they realize that they have done nothing they only know of one who has done something. And that's Jesus. Therefore, they communicate that and they communicate praise to Him alone. So I pray that the Lord finds us and keeps us faithful in all those things. He says in verse 18, I know this wasn't in the ones that I read, but He says, pray for us I ask this for everybody here. Pray for us, for we trust we have a good conscience in all things, willing to live honestly. But I beseech you the rather to do this, that I may be restored to you to the sooner. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, make you perfect in every good work, to do His will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. So, brother, I, I pray that the Lord would do that with us. All right, anybody have any questions or comments? Things you'd like to add? Can we sing? We can sing. i got 38. Thirty-eight in the old school hymn book. 